So the reading is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 9, starting at verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your harvest, multiply your seed for sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thank you to those who have led us, music and in leading and praying and uh, reading. Now we finish today uh, a series of uh, three on 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 on the subject of Christian giving, uh, connected up with our uh, review on uh, giving. Just um, to say that you hopefully will have received an email in the past week with the electronic versions of the literature that was uh, given out at the church uh, meeting back on Tuesday. There are copies of packs up at the back and in the information area if you haven't uh, received uh, that Let me encourage us all, um, and we are engaging in this as a whole church family, and there are many reasons for that. Some of them we'll touch on in this concluding section of Corinthians. Let me encourage us all with one principle that isn't on any of the sheets, and that is to get your form in. Okay, and I say that simply conscious of my own practical inadequacies when it comes to this kind of thing, and uh, just to... Put a slot in your diary to work it out and then to to hand it in. Let's pray, though, as we finish up the series. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the wonderful words of uh, your words in the Bible and for the extraordinary way they speak uh, to uh, every subject, not least the subject of giving. And we pray for your help now as we conclude this little section in Corinthians. For Jesus' sake, amen. So the service sheet, what I've tried to do in the service sheet today is to summarize the principles from the previous studies. We'll not go over that in any detail, but it's there for you as a kind of aid memoir. Um, The first heading on the sheet is clarification in case there is misunderstanding. And one mistake that I have made in the series, indeed there may be more than one, but one mistake that uh, I have made is not being sufficiently alert or sensitive to how you might hear this if you are not yet a Christian. And a number of you coming on Sundays and through the week in person, as well as many of you listening online, are not yet Christians. And we are absolutely thrilled that you are here as part of the church or listening online. And the last thing we would want you to think is that the church is after your money. 
The most important principle you have to grasp in order to become a Christian is the principle of grace. Let me just remind us what grace is. It never does those of us who are Christians any harm to reflect on exactly what grace is. A Christian is someone who is saved from their sins and God's judgment. And grace means that that happens or our salvation, being saved from our sins and God's judgment, is both undeserved and entirely through what God has done in Jesus. Jesus died for your sins. He gave his life so that you might be forgiven. He was raised from death to life so that you might be raised to everlasting life. That is salvation. That's who a Christian is. And it is based entirely on what God has done. Now, this is not God being vindictive or cruel in saying that anything we do cannot save us. It is rather God revealing to us as human beings his sovereign, majestic, awesome, perfect purity, the irreconcilable difference and distance between God in terms of who he is and humanity in terms of who we are in our sinfulness. Grace is God revealing that it is impossible for any of us to be reconciled to God by the way we live. And yet at the same time as he reveals this, he demonstrates in his grace the magnitude of his love and mercy in giving his son to die to save us. So what do you need to do to become a Christian? That might be a very relevant question to somebody here or listening. Listen to how the Bible, God's word, answers that question. Here's Philippians, one of the letters in the New Testament. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Through the Gospels, we read again and again of Jesus calling people to faith. He says, repent and believe the good news or the gospel. Repent means turning to God, seeking, or perhaps better expressed, desperate for forgiveness as you grasp the consequences of not being forgiven. Repent and believe the good news that through Jesus Christ you can be forgiven. Or elsewhere Jesus says simply this, come to me and I will give you rest. The believer's testimony, I came when Jesus called me and I found forgiveness through him, what must I do to be saved? There is not a whiff in the Bible of anything like give money or attend church or take communion or do your best to live according to a set of rules. Is how you are saved. And so please, if you are not yet a Christian, do not listen to these talks about Christian giving as anything to do with how you are saved. You are saved by grace alone, undeserved mercy, salvation based entirely on what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. That is 
at one and the same time a revelation of God's awesome holiness, his distance, the irreconcilability of a holy God to a sinful human, and also his wonderful grace in giving his Son. I hope that's helpful and a safety net. And let me say again, if you are not yet a Christian, and a number of you are here in this service, and I'm sure listening online, we are thrilled that you are part of Chalmers Church. But we do not want you ever to think that becoming a Christian has anything to do with giving money. Now, what the Apostle Paul is doing in this letter, as we study it, is writing to Christians in the church in Corinth about Christian giving. Now, that phrase, Christian giving, might be helpful. And I've gone back to the booklet with the elders and finance team and just put that phrase all the way through it so we're clear that when the Bible speaks about giving, it's speaking about Christians giving because they are Christians Giving is something we do as Christians because we are Christians. It's a normal part of the Christian life. Let me just trail something that we will conclude on today. Why do we give money as Christians? The answer is, and we'll come back to this, so that people come to faith in Jesus and that Christians, when they have come to faith, are shepherded through life to heaven. That's where every pound we give goes. And if it doesn't, we shouldn't give it. Every pound that is given to enable Chalmers Church as a local church to run and function is for seeing people come to faith and once they have shepherding them through life to heaven now just a very quick review of 2 Corinthians 8 to 9 I'm not going to go through this and encourage you to listen to the sermons if you've missed them uh, Corinthians is all about authenticity uh, what is authentic for a church or a Christian. And let me just, uh, if you see halfway down the service sheet on the first uh, page of the notes where it says 2 Corinthians 8 to 9 overall, it's just a little typo there. It should say the grace of giving and then joy in giving. Let's, um, let me just point you to the beginning and end of um, the two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 to 9. So, Have a look in your Bible at the way that these two chapters of giving begin. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. That's one bookend. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and the extreme poverty poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And what Paul is saying to them and to us is that in the Christian life, and remember he's speaking about giving as something that Christians do, what enables Christians to give is grace. So it's supernatural. And that's why when we gathered as a church on Tuesday night, loads of us, to talk about one of these off-limit subjects like money, there was a warmth and a love and a stability because in and through our hearts as Christians, the Holy Spirit is working out salvation, pouring grace into our lives. So our discussions around money are supernatural. Our giving decisions are supernatural. Look at the other end of the section, chapter 9. 
Let's read chapter 9, verse uh, 14. This is uh, speaking about those who have received the, the giving, the gift of money. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, that's the grace of giving, the grace of generosity, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now, when the Bible speaks about gifts, Gifts. It really speaks about gifts with such exuberance as it speaks about this gift, which is the gift or capacity to give. Why is the Bible so exuberant in speaking about the gift of giving that a Christian has? Because we all know, deep down in our hearts, that giving is better than receiving. Giving gives you a pleasure that is better than receiving. And to be liberated from the idol of money in your life as a Christian is a wonderful thing. To be able to make decisions with our money that matter for all eternity to be able to let go of what we cannot keep, to invest in what will never die, is a wonderful thing. And what Paul is saying to us corporately as a church is talk about giving, speak God's truth in love on this subject, and let the grace of God manifest itself among you all. And mark this verse. And when that happens, you are letting loose amongst yourselves an inexpressibly wonderful gift. That's what it says. And why is it that when we preach on giving, and many of you are doing this now, why is it we smile so much? We are. Now, just uh, look on the sheet. I'm not going to go through them. I've tried to set out the principles in each section, inspiring examples of Christian giving, 1 to 15. And then last week, that very dull talk on managing church finances in a godly way, very encouraging to me that it was um, helpful. Uh, I think the, 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 the sort of product of that is if you don't do that, what is a nightmare could happen. But thank you to all the encouragements for um, that talk in particular. And we come now to the results of Christian uh, giving. So our focus uh, in 9 to 16 is the results. So I want you to, to, to think of um, uh, well, let, let me, those of us who are members of the church, when we joined the church, we made a promise to give, a, uh, to give generously of our time, our ministry gifts, and our money for the work of the gospel in this church and beyond. And what the Corinthians had done is they had made a promise a year ago. And it's only a matter of discipleship when you don't see through on the, the promise. And I want us to imagine in six months' time when everyone in our church family um, has given according to their means and according to the Bible principles, and whether that is a, is a tiny amount materially or a large amount because our circumstances are all different, when every one of us is engaged in giving, every one of us, and that might seem ridiculous, but it's exactly what the Bible says. Every single person is involved, matters, is part and parcel of the body. That's why everyone must serve. Everyone must give time. Everyone is to give money so that we're all part of a body. When that happens in six months' time, because it's going to take some of us as long as that to find the form and fill it in, then lose it and then fill it in and all that. But, um, and Andrew will despair of us. But when it's all done and dusted, what will the result be? Well, that's what we're going to see. First, Christian giving is... Now, just uh, before we uh, sort of pause on each of these stepping stones, if you were to write a book about like, Christian giving, you just wouldn't put these things all side, but it's a beautiful set of principles side by side here. It's just wonderful. So it starts off by saying... Giving is like a harvest. So get a harvest in your mind. Think of a harvest. Think of that vast 
field, ready to be reaped. And then it uses a word uh, that is very accurately translated, bountifully. It's a wonderful word. We'll come to that. And then it says, each person must give according to their heart. And what the Bible says at that point is, you always, always, always going to fall into the trap of thinking there's a tax, there's a percentage, there's a amount. And God says, look, I am, as, I am more concerned for your heart than what you give. Because I will not let you, keen Christian that you are, fall for one minute in the Christian life into living out your life any other way other than depending on God's grace. So unlike your Inland Revenue tax form, what God's word says, look, if you feel under any compulsion or if you feel that you are doing this unwillingly, please, please don't give yet. It's not like don't give, don't give. It's not like a a kind of petulant don't give. It's saying, look, just pray, just attend to your heart. Be careful. Now, and then we get to point number four. I'm excited about that. Christian giving is a miracle ministry. Sounds awfully like a kind of prosperity verse, but we'll come to that. Thanksgivings to God, glorify God, partnership. And then an inexpressibly wonderful gift of grace. You're not going to get this kind of talk, kind of dialogue, kind of discourse anywhere other than in the Word of God. It's just uh, wonderful. So let me uh, take some steps through this and we'll not... um, We'll not spend time on some and we'll spend more time on others. Christian giving is like a harvest. That's the image. How do we know? Just look at verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So um, we'll come back to bountifully. But reaping, all of that is a kind of harvest and sowing. That's the harvest imagery. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, what is the harvest that Christian giving produces? What is the harvest that this review of giving we trust in God's purposes will produce? What is the harvest that our giving produces? Now, how do you answer that question? Well, the way that I've tried to do that is to say, Where else in the Bible does God speak about harvests? In a number of places, but let me point you to one. The kingdom parables in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So here's Mark's Gospels account. This is the parable of the sower. Here's what happens to the seed that is sown in good soil. I'm reading from Mark chapter 4 and verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So what is the harvest when the gospel is spoken or where the word of God is spoken? The harvest is people coming to faith in Jesus. That's always the harvest. Or being shepherded through life to glory. God is concerned to bring people to faith through the word of the gospel, but he is concerned to keep them, to nurture them in things called local churches all the way through life with all the ups and downs and the challenges so they're safely home to heaven. What about the growing seed? And this is where you start to see the parallels. How can my giving as a first-time worker or as a student, small as it is, in real material terms? Or how can my giving as somebody who is earning £100,000 and because of that I am able to give a significant amount, relatively speaking, but in the real scale of 
global mission. It's a tiny amount still. How can my giving really make a difference? And let me go to the parallel in Mark 4. Jesus said, the kingdom of God, as if a person should scatter seed on the ground. So it's the seed of speaking and we're talking about the seed of giving. It's the same principles. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But where the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. This building exists, this redeveloped building, and it must do. And that's why we are so concerned to populate it with stuff for the gospel. That's why we want you all to engage in that. This building is so that people come to faith and so that people are shepherded through life to heaven. Way, way back, all over the church family, people gave this amount, that amount, this amount, that amount, some big, some small, according to their means. And it took years and years and years until we're here. It's just an example. And God takes all the giving of all sorts of people but the harvest will come. And my favorite one is the parable of the mustard seed. Because all of the time in this, when I've had this conversation with a number of you, my giving doesn't matter. And that, that could be somebody whose means are Significant, someone whose means are not, humanly speaking. Jesus said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds in the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. The harvest is people coming to faith in Jesus. The harvest is the kingdom of God growing as people come to faith. The harvest is mission. The harvest is people being shepherded through life in local churches to heaven. So why is Christian giving like a harvest? Because it is what Christian giving is for, to bring in a harvest. Think of Charleston in Dundee, where there is a living church in a tough, tough part of Scotland where there was no living church. What is Andy and his team seeing? They are seeing a harvest coming in, people coming to faith. They are seeing people whose lives are complex and chaotic, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, being shepherded through life to heaven. Charleston would not exist if people outside of Charleston had not given money towards that harvest. That's what it's for. Somebody is supporting Andy and Kyrene to pay their mortgage this year because they can't afford to pay for it. Having bought a house, that has been the singular biggest step forward for them in their identification and partnership with people who live in that scheme in Charleston. That person will drop out this year. We will pick up the cost for them. Gospel giving, gospel speaking. It's exactly the same, and the Bible speaks about it in exactly the same way it leads to a harvest. Now, secondly, give bountifully to reap bountifully. The point is this, verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Uh, I guarantee that unless we're careful, we're going to mishear this. So what do we think this means? Whoever gives a great big chunk of money will reap bountifully, and whoever gives a little amount of money will reap sparingly. Bountiful giving and sparing giving has nothing to do with the amount. It has everything to do with everything that Paul has said so far in the letter. Generosity, according to your means, as you are able, out of love for the Lord. That's what bountiful means. And that's what God uses 
bountiful giving to reap bountifully. Don't fall into the trap of thinking in a worldly way that bountifully means a large amount of money and sparingly means a small amount. In real money terms, the Macedonian churches, Paul's primary example of sacrificial, generous giving, gave hardly anything, but their giving was bountiful and not sparing. Let me flip the coin, though, because we have spent a lot of time talking about people who have little means that their giving is hugely valued by God and by everyone in this church. But there are some of us who have very significant means. And the danger is as true for them as anyone. Because the Bible says they are to give bountifully and not sparingly. Now, I encounter in raising money for the Bonner Trust a lot of people who are what we would call high wealth people. Let's say someone is earning a million pounds and they give six or seven or eight hundred thousand pounds to the work of the gospel every year. And people say, or we say, oh, well, they still have £200,000 left. But it takes a great deal of grace and Christian conviction when you earn a million pounds to give 800000 of it away. That's bountiful giving. And I want those of you who have little materially to give to pray for those who have a lot materially that they will be bountiful and I want those of you who have a lot to pray that those who have a little will give equally bountifully Norman mentioned on Tuesday night that we want to do no more than yield the capacity within the people that God has brought into our care as a church. And if our means are not enough to fund the ministries we believe that God, we would ask people outside to help, and they will help. We have close partnerships with one or two. They helped us with a building project. One of them said, and it's a most profound comment, they know what's going on in the church. They know we're going through this exercise in giving. And, it's, and they said, we don't, want to, we don't want to give you anything if that interferes with the work of God in their hearts, your hearts as a congregation in this exercise. In other words, what they're saying is they want God's grace to work in every one of our hearts because if we all give according to our means the joy and the growth and the unity and the love and the dynamic of all of us being engaged in the work of the gospel together is so much richer than giving being only half the people in a church with the gap being plugged by someone else. That doesn't mean to say that's not necessary, but it becomes biblically necessary when the whole church engages in giving in exactly the same way as the whole church engaging in uh, serving. Now, uh, where are we? Number three. Each person must give as they have decided in their heart. Verse 7, let me just read that. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> you know the story of John Wesley when, when somebody uh, used to say to him, why do you keep banging on about how you, 
you, you need to be born again. And he turned to the lady and he said, because you need to be born again. I'm sure people ask me or Norman or others or Andrew, whatever, how much should I give? You've got to have the confidence to go to verse 7. Each one must give according to what is in his heart. And what God is saying there is, look, the heart is, the, heart is the, the control center of the life, the personality. It's the decision-making part of, of you and I. And, and I think you've got to apply good common sense and practicalities and uh, maybe a spreadsheet or whatever. Um, you know, sensible budgeting. There's a wonderful little book called The Money Mentor. Somebody has written this. How to sort out your finances as a Christian. Uh, just sensible stuff like that. But, but it, the heart, you need your, your mind engaged with it, but the heart ultimately is the seed of the affections. And if there is any sense of reluctance, which is not the same as sacrificial cost, or if there is any sense of compulsion, and that's down to us, if you feel that there is any compulsion going on, then please don't give until you or we have sorted that out. For God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful is not a brilliant translation. It's God loves a, God loves a giver who has prayerfully meditated on all that the Bible teaches about giving and does it because they have thoroughly grasped the grace of the gospel. Now, verses 8 to 11, Christian giving is a miracle ministry. I've got very excited about these verses um, I'm not going to pretend they say what they don't seem to say. Okay, let's read them. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. It's a little bit like a picture there of a, a stream, and you start to give, and you start to serve, and, and it kind of bubbles up, boom, and it bubbles up, and it bubbles up. It almost sounds like what people would call a prosperity gospel. If you do this, the only thing it's not is if you give, then God gives you more to give. So it's not really prosperity. Uh, but it, that's exactly what it sounds like, that if you engage in this, God will provide, God will provide, God will provide, God will enable. Um, verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgivings uh, to God. And I don't think we can pin down exactly the logic of what Paul is saying other than saying that Christian giving is a supernatural, miraculous ministry in the life of a church. In the same way, go back to the seed parables in Mark chapter 4. The hardest thing when you teach the kingdom parables, the sower, the growing seed, the mustard seed, we're all faced with the, this is hard, the seed is, is not going to lead to anything my giving is not... The hardest thing to teach in the seed parables is the promise of a miracle. There is a harvest. It's hard to think in Scotland at the moment. As we send out all these people that there is a harvest. But God promises there will be. And if the ministry of the word in these parables of the kingdom or the seed parables is a miracle ministry. And so also is the ministry of giving. It is a miracle ministry. How do we know? Let me predict what's going to happen in six months when we review all that's happened in the next six months. We will discover that as God's grace works in our hearts all across the church family, I'm only basing this on what's happened before, that it will all look like extraordinary coincidences. We'll call it providence. God working it all out, knowing exactly what's going on, knowing what's ahead, bringing the right people, burdening our hearts, burdening our hearts. All we have to do is be part of it. It's all we have to do. And God will work it all out in a wonderful, wonderful uh, way because it is supernatural in the end. The miracle ministry of the Word, what we're about on a Sunday, what we're about in our small groups and evangelism is supernatural, it's miraculous. How can you possibly be changed by studying words? Except you are, we are. 
How can, we, how can giving money lead to a miraculous outbox on outcome? Well, here it is. It's what it says. It's great. Christian giving overflows in thanksgivings to God. Verse 12, for the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Think of Andy in Charleston. Andy, I hope you're not listening and preparing your sermon. Um, I would encourage you, if you've got a spare hour at three o'clock this afternoon, is tune into Charleston. You'd be edified and encouraged by watching uh, the sermon. Uh, Andy engages in regular dialogue with the congregation. Um, I'm not encouraging that, though, here. Um, think of... So, so there's a lot of money being given to let Charleston function as a church. Now, the thanksgiving to God... Andy's not walking around Charleston giving thanks to God for the money. He's walking around Charleston giving thanks to God for God and what he is doing in people's lives. But behind all of that, there is gospel giving. Gospel giving leads to thanksgiving to God. Some of you will remember or know well Anna Green, who used to be here. Anna married to Innes. Last Sunday, they began a new church in a housing estate as a plant out of Smithton near Inverness. People in that community in time, 10, 15, 20 years from now, will have ample reason as they come to faith and as they sit beside a loved one who is dying, who is part of that church and has become a Christian, to give thanks to God for the gospel but way, way back in the midst of time, there are people who gave money to enable all that to happen. You see how it becomes something that grows and nurtures beyond even our lifetimes. It also leads to people giving glory to God, verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution uh, for them. And if we were to go back and look, uh, for example, at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul is speaking about the ministry of the Word, it's lovely that you're very excited about turning back. to t- Go on then. I hear the rustling. Turn back to chapter 4. He's speaking about, Paul is speaking about the ministry of the word here. Look at verse 15 of chapter 4. For it is all for your sake. This is the ministry of the word. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Now back to 2 Corinthians Chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. The ministry of giving. The result is the same. Thanksgiving to the glory of God. So the links are there all the way through. The harvest is the same. Ministry of the word, Christian giving, the same harvest. The ministry of the word, the ministry of giving, leads to thanksgivings, the glory of God. The ministry of the word, the ministry of giving is a miracle ministry. Another benefit, verse 7, it leads to gospel partnership. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So Andy, or think of our global partners. Do we really think that I was going to name them. I can't name them. I'm not a, do we really think that our global partners are bonded to us because of the money we give? That's not why they are bonded to us. They love us. But it's all part of their, our gospel partnership. And then it finishes up with Christian giving as an inexpressibly wonderful gift of grace. I don't think that anywhere in the Bible that an aspect of 
the day-to-day life of discipleship in the life of a Christian or a church is spoken of in such effusive way as this. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now let me conclude our series. Why is it that we are to give money as Christians? The answer is so that people come to believe in Jesus and are cared for through life till heaven. Chalmers cost half a million pounds a year. Every single pound is spent. I think it is, and it's good to audit it in this way. Every single pound is spent in furtherance of that vision. And that is why, having bought and redeveloped this building, we are concerned to use it maximally for the impact of the gospel in this community and beyond. And that is why we are committed to whatever happens in this building that there is word ministry at its heart. Because that's what God says we are to do. This is one of the main reasons we are engaging in a serving review. To help everyone find their place to serve according to their gifts. Now I am well aware in saying that. And I think this number is much higher than perhaps as elders we thought or admitted to. Of people who are desperate to serve. And who are gifted, but haven't managed to kind of break in. And and we've got to address that. And it's a supernatural. As the ministry of giving. And it's a supernatural as the ministry of the word. What a wonderful place, I think, Chalmers is. Imagine a church where everyone is serving. Everyone is giving. And the Bible says, there will well up among you joy that we cannot manage to put into words. Training and sending out gospel workers is a big ministry for Chalmers. It costs a lot of money, but the reason we do that and support national and global partners is so that people come to believe in Jesus and will be cared for through their lives till heaven. So why engage in a giving review? Not because... We need the money, although we do. And let's not live in the unreal reality. But the biblical reason we engage in a giving project is so that the capacity God has brought together in the realm of giving with this group of people is realized. And a review of giving and a review of serving are fundamentally about realizing our capacity as the people of God he has gathered together in this local church to do what we can, not more than we can, not beyond our capacity, But there are probably very few churches, and I think we are one, which, where that is reached, capacity. And capacity mustn't be misunderstood. It's not that we're maxed out, maximum capacity. Maximum capacity is right. It means everybody serving. And everybody serving means everyone is joy-filled. Everyone giving means everyone is joy-filled. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth a year before, um, uh, a year uh, after they promised to give. Uh, we don't know what happened. Now, as elders, as you know, we were concerned that is the timing of this right? 
We felt it was, but we set out with this task, and let me read to you what we wrote. Um, We believe the timing is right, but it is incumbent on us all to be thoughtful, measured, and sensitive in what we say and what we are heard to say, recognizing the diversity of people and circumstances in our congregation. We agreed that night that the best way to do that was to listen to what God says in his word about Christian giving and speak that truth, his truth, in love to one another. And how wonderfully eh, the Lord has proved true to his word yet again. And I wonder if one of the benefits of this experience of studying this portion of God's word, it's, how would I sum it up? It's disarming, heartwarming, challenging, moving, persuasive, beautiful power has given me, and I hope you, even more confidence in the Bible as the living and inspired word of God. God knows what he's doing. And he knows how to speak to us on every subject. So let's listen. And get our forms in. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the beautiful word of God. And how wonderfully disarming and persuasive and gentle and challenging it is. And how on every verse, on every word in these chapters... Grace is writ large, the persuasive power of grace. Help us, Lord, as a church, to all engage and well up in our hearts joy as we do so, and a unity and a purpose that brings many thanksgivings and glory to you. For Jesus' sake.